I was so unprepared, but like the thing that set all this off my whole career with dog body language off was that he bit somebody. Welcome to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and I've been a dog mom for over 20 years. On this podcast, we are going to celebrate the amazing parts of being a pet parent. We're going to navigate the challenges together and learn everything that dog moms and dog dads should know. I believe that dogs can show up in our lives as healers, as teachers, and as inspirations. And I can't wait to get started. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 89 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. If you're someone that follows anything dog-related on social media, you're probably familiar with the work of today's guest, Lily Chin, whether you knew it or not. Lily is the artist and illustrator behind many of what are my favorite infographics on social media, from dog body language to how to fill a dog's emotional cup. In fact, you might even see some of these on the wall at your local vet office. And today I'm going to be speaking with Lily about her book, Doggy Language, a dog lover's guide to understanding your best friend. But first, a quick word from one of our sponsors. It's February, and you know what that means. It's Pet Dental Health Month. I recently learned that 80% of our dogs over three years old have active dental or periodontal disease. And dental disease is actually a sign of other inflammation in the body and can be connected to everything from cardiovascular problems, kidney problems, diabetes, certain types of cancers, joint disease. Your dog's dental health actually can affect everything in their body. And you know that I am obsessed with finding the best and healthiest products for our dogs. So I was so excited to find out about Teef. That's right, Teef. Just a tiny spoonful of Teef powder in your dog's water bowl will make a huge improvement in your dog's dental health. It's the only thing that ever made my vet stop and go, hey, what did you do with Penny's teeth? They actually look so much better. So forget trying to figure out how to get your dog's teeth brushed without them biting you. Forget those sticks or green shoes. What you need is teeth powder, just a tiny amount in your dog's water bowl. And listeners of this podcast can save 20% on your teeth order with the code ADM. And you'll be on your way to a healthier smile for your dog without any anesthesia needed. Check out the link in the show notes to find out more about teeth and save 20% on your orders. This code will work on their cat product too. As I told Lily during our interview, I've probably mentioned her book, Doggy Language, on, I don't know, maybe a third (laughs) of the 80-some episodes that I've released of this podcast because I truly believe that learning our dog's body language is one of the most important things we should do as a pet parent. I feel like it's a responsibility, a duty to learn what our dogs are trying to communicate to us. And I'm going to talk some more about that after you listen to the interview. So make sure you stick around for the end of the episode. But let's get started with our interview with Lily Chin. She's going to tell us about her background growing up with dogs and cats and what she didn't know back then. 
And then she's going to tell us the story of how her rather famous dog, Boogie, came into her life and how that journey unfolded and changed the course of her career. I really loved hearing her experiences with different dog trainers and how she came to start collaborating with some of the most important names in the dog training world doing some of the most important work, such as Dr. Zazie Todd, who has been on this podcast, Grisha Stewart, Dr. Sophia Yin. These are all some of the names in the dog training world. And Lily is also very clear that she is not a dog trainer, despite all of her internet famous collaborations. So let's dive in. I can't wait for you to meet Lily Chin. So I am incredibly excited to be sitting here today with Lily Chin. How are you? Hi, Erin. I'm fine, thank you. I'm in Los Angeles, and it's really warm in winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's a much nicer day there than it is here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm always curious about your childhood experiences with pets, because I am not somebody who grew up with pets. In fact, I didn't even know that I liked dogs until I was 25. And my husband, who was my fiance at the time, made us get one. <laughs> and I didn't know about this whole dog thing. Wow. And uh, over the last 20 years, it's really changed my life. So what does that look like for you? Did you grow up with animals? So I did grow up with animals, but I didn't know anything about them. And I almost feel like my childhood experiences of dogs and cats didn't count because I was so clueless. Um, it wasn't until, like you, like it wasn't until I was in my, when I was like a well into adulthood before I had a dog um, of my own. And I I mean, it started with me fostering dogs for a rescue Boston Buddies rescue and that was because my friend worked with them and she said to me one day hey would you like to we, we have some dogs that need fostering would you like to you know try it out and I thought yeah sure I'll try it out and with no intention of wanting a dog I just and then I kind of you know <laughs> felt that I would love to have a dog of my own I would love to live with a dog and and then it happened um and I had Boogie my rescued Boston Terrier who basically taught me everything that I know about dogs and and also from working with dog trainers and behaviorists and people in the dog it, who work professionally with dogs so before that like I was pretty clueless yeah, I was completely clueless. And, you know, the funny thing is I had actually wanted us to adopt a Boston Terrier and my husband had his heart set on a female brindle pit bull. And that first dog was my Lucy, who is the logo for this podcast. But yeah, I had actually really wanted a Boston Terrier because I thought like they were small and I could like handle them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so Tell us about Boogie and how your relationship with him unfolded. So um, I fostered a few Boston Terriers and they all had really sort of intense medical issues. Like my first Boston Terrier was uh, really old. Like she came to me when she was like 12 or 13 and she had palsy and she had stomach cancer and she had seizures and she oh was like she had all these things and then the second one was blind and he also had seizures and and the third one was a puppy and he 
pooped everywhere. And, <laughs> and so when I adopted, when we adopted Boogie, he was like perfect. He was healthy. He was, I mean, I kind of mainly adopted him because he was like physically healthy and he looked so cute. And I was so unprepared, but like the thing that set all this off my whole career with dog body language off was that he bit somebody. Um, he actually tried to bite the mailman several times and he bit the building manager of my apartment building. And then I got threatened with eviction. Oh, I wow. had to move out or get rid of the dog. And I was just absolutely desperate and I looked for a dog trainer and I didn't know anything at the time. I just Googled for a dog trainer <laughs> and sort of picked, just picked the first one. I mean, Boogie was, he was just, uh, he was like two or three years old and he was like a lively dog and he was, he was fun. He was like so much fun, but he was fearful of new people. So I mean, I could go into all the details, but basically I started learning about dog training in in the wrong way. Like, I mean, the first trainer I had put a prong collar on him, used very punishing methods. Um, basically, he got worse. He, he became more scared of people. He became more reactive towards other dogs. And um, I eventually started reading up on dog behavior and dog training and found out about clicker training. And from then I wanted to know more. Like I, I was learning that there were other ways to deal with behavior issues that didn't involve using aversives. And I connected with, you know, the right people. Yeah. <laughs> <I'd say. laughs> and and it was such an education for me. Like, I mean, learning about dog body language is kind of one of the big things that I remember being so surprised that this wasn't anything that was taught on TV. Nobody spoke about it. And I'm thinking, why don't more people know about this? And because I was working as an illustrator, I started drawing Boogie in all his different poses and his different expressions. And, and you know, I was basically just drawing what I was learning and yeah, and so like I mean, I was hired by dog trainers like Grisha Stewart to illustrate her book on behavior adjustment training. Um, I got to work with Dr. Sophia Yin, who also talked a lot about low stress handling and um, reading body language and not causing any stress to dogs. So it was like a big educational journey with Boogie. Um, he just through trying to help him have a happier life to be more relaxed I learned so much about dogs and I learned how to you know not use punishing methods to use positive reinforcement and use clicker training and yeah all that <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it's such an amazing story that you have so you know so many people know you from working, you know, as an illustrator specifically with dogs, but you had, that was never like your goal, right? Like you had a whole other career. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I worked in animation and I was drawing people's pets for a living. I mean, I was a pet portrait artist at first and it wasn't until Boogie started biting people <laughs> and me trying to fix that, that, you know, I kind of, my career sort of went off on a different direction and I started learning about dog behavior and drawing stuff related to dog behavior. 
you know, I have shared this story uh, on other episodes of the podcast that we had one dog and that was going really well. And then we kind of ended up with another dog, just kind of somebody couldn't keep it. And so then we had two dogs and we did just everything wrong, but it worked out, right? Like it just worked out that they got along and everything was great. And then literally had a situation where we came home and somebody had kind of essentially left a dog on our porch. And so now we had three dogs. <laughs> and we realized within a short amount of time uh, that number one, we didn't know anything about what we were doing. And number two, that I, we didn't think our house was big enough for three dogs. And we ended up with a bad situation in our house where two of the dogs got into a fight that was really scary and awful. Mm. And when I later, like a year or so later, because we re- we very responsibly rehomed the third dog, we went back to being a two-dog household, and I am the type of person that I'm now going to throw myself in to learning everything that I can, right? Mm. And I discovered the book uh, Calming Signals. Mm-hmm. And when I started realizing, like, Oh, <laughs> they have been trying to tell us, you know, yeah. for for weeks and, you know, we weren't picking up on it. And I felt terrible. Like I felt awful yeah. that I had been missing all of these, you know, signals and, and realizing that they had been talking to us this whole time and we just weren't savvy enough to, to pick up on it. So did you, what was your like introduction to this? I'm just curious if it was that book too, because I know so many people know that book. <laughs> it was, it was actually, and, and there was a DVD that went with the book. Um, oh, okay. So um, our dog trainer was Sarah Owings and she sort of lent me all these books, <laughs> which included to it Rugas book and the DVD that went with it. And I remember think, watching it and, and I, watching videos of myself training boogie because I used to take videos to see Mm. and I would share them with Sarah and say here look what we look you know look what I did today (laughs) and I'd be all very proud that you know boogie was responding to a cue and Sarah would say did you see that lip lick (laughs) Um, he doesn't look very happy to me (laughs) and I'm like oh you're right (laughs) and then I'd be seeing things I hadn't seen before and feeling like, oh, my God, what else have I missed? And I'd be watching all these videos of myself with Boogie and seeing signals that showed that he was stressed and, you know, he wasn't joyfully doing these behaviours. Um, and, and that was sort of life-changing. That was mind-blowing. Yeah, it's like being able to speak a different language. Yeah. I don't know if they have these kind of events out where you are, but, you know, they'll have like these big like dog fest events or things like this where people come out and bring their dogs and the nonprofit organization that I volunteer with will go and have a booth at these events. And I sit there all day like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Because it's so stressful for me seeing mm. how stressed dogs are, yeah, how yeah. people aren't seeing this. And I'm always yeah. like, it's just by the like graciousness of dogs that there aren't more problems when you have these kind of situations. Yeah. yeah I mean, I was watching the National Dog Show after Thanksgiving Day and, yeah. and, you know, feeling the same way, like going, oh, my God, that dog's not truly comfortable. And so how did you start being able to do these illustrations for trainers? Who was like the first person who you connected with? I think it might have been Grisha Stewart because she, because what happened was that um, 
as I was realizing that the prong collar wasn't working and I needed a kinder way, uh, I needed a different way, um, I reached out. So Dogster used to have a behavior advice column. Uh, Dogster online yeah. and so I wrote in to the columnist and I said you know hey I've got this you know my dog I don't really know how to fix this problem um, the prong collar is making him quote-unquote obedient but he's still attacking people like he's still reacting and the person who replied was Grisha Stewart and she said well first of all throw away that prong collar and look <laughs> into what look into bat and which was what she was developing at the time and so I think she might and then she hired me to illustrate her book because she had seen my drawings I had a blog back then I had a blog for everything I was doing with Boogie and I would include little illustrations of you know our training or whatever and she saw those drawings and she hired me so so Grisha was one of them and Sophia Dr. Sophia Yin was another um, she had seen my dog body language chart and she wanted to do something to highlight stress signals in dogs. I can't even imagine uh, how many times that has been shared on Facebook. And it's like one of those things that every time I see it come around, I'm like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> that was like viral before there was viral, viral. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm just so. In a way, I'm really glad that I've got the book now, <laughs> the doggy language book, because it's not just a Boston Terrier. There's, <laughs> you know, there are other different kinds of dogs as well. Well, yeah, you know, you're actually kind of like a little bit of a folk hero here in the Baltimore pit bull community, uh, just because of the positive way that you've portrayed pit bulls over the years and the art yeah. that you've done. And uh, is it Tano? Am I saying that right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it was just yeah. exciting that, was, you know, going back 10, almost 15 years ago, it was oh, exciting yeah. to see, you know, a pit bull being used in a positive way like that. Yeah. See, I mean, like, I was so clueless at the time. Like, I wasn't even aware that there were all there was all this discrimination against different breeds. Like, I didn't even know that. I mean, not that it makes any difference. Yeah. When we adopted our first dog, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's how clueless I was on having yeah. a <laughs> Yeah, because you had done a lot of like NBSL things uh, mm, over the years yeah. and stuff. And so, yeah, yeah you, you have a big fan base here in Baltimore. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> and so how did the body language, doggy language book come about? Was that just like an evolution of the work you were doing? Was that something, did anybody ask you to do that? Did you just want to do that? So that came about because um, a publisher contacted me because they'd they seen the poster and they asked if I wanted to turn the poster into a book, a gift book. And this was a British publisher called Summersdale. And my first response was, well, it's a free download. I don't know what, like, I don't really see the point of making it a book. And <laughs> But they were, they were quite persistent. And then they said, well, how about you do a dog with different, uh, do a book with different dog breeds, like mix it up. And then it, was more appealing to me at that point. Like I just thought that's a really great idea um, because Boogie doesn't have a tail and, <laughs> you know, right. it would be really good to show different breeds with, that have different ears and different tails. And and so that's how it happened. Um, they, they approached me. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I have the book right here. 
I would probably venture to guess that in maybe I think I'm on episode I'm in the episode 80s. You know, I've done 80 some episodes of this podcast. Probably one third of the episodes, I'm mentioning your book at some point oh, and putting so a link much. to it because yeah. it's such an important resource. And as much as I also love the Calming Signals book, which shows photographs of live mm. dogs, there's also just something helpful about having it more cleaner as an illustration to be able to like focus in on one thing at a time, like ears, tails, you know, yeah. uh, eyes, nose, like these things. Do you, I mean, I guess and everybody just learns and processes things differently. Like, yeah. do you have a preference for, I, I mean, you probably have a preference for the illustration, but do you have any thoughts on why like of illustration versus photos? You know, um, I have no idea. I mean, I don't know <laughs> if one is better than the other because I've, you know, when I was doing this at first, I thought, you know, is it useful? Is is I I wondered if images like illustrations would be more useful than photos, or if photos would be clearer. I wasn't sure, but I'm just based on the feedback I get from people. People seem to find illustrations easier to follow, um, and I did. Uh, make an effort to like you know I have arrows in the images pointing out what to look for so that was something I sort of intentionally wanted to do so you know what to look at yeah I think it's great yeah um, yeah and you know just realizing that like just because they wag their tail doesn't necessarily mean that that's a good thing I mean it's just so yeah. many great reminders yeah so did you consult with anyone specifically or any multiple people multiple people yeah um, multiple people so at the back of the book there's a list of names <laughs> so um I mean a lot of the material is stuff that I had drawn before just you know after years of doing because I've done a lot of dog body language charts for like veterinarians and shelters and trainers um I've drawn different dogs and all the same poses so so I kind of knew what to do I sort of knew what information to put in the book but um, I consulted with a lot of dog trainers because I wanted to make sure I, I got the right wording getting the right you know I, I tried my best to stay away from jargon jargony words that may be easy to be misinterpreted so so that was something that I kind of was very conscious of and you have a, a kid's version also, right? Right. So the kid's version is not written by me. It's written by Kirsten Hamilton, and um, it's a different publisher. And so she wrote it, and I illustrated it. So that's, that was more her than me. Okay. But, but, it is, uh, but that book is a picture book, and it is written specifically for much younger children. I mean, doggy language is meant to be for adults, <laughs> but it's kind of interesting that a, that a lot of people are sharing it with their kids and getting good feedback. Well, yeah, I think it, like uh, you could make like a game out of it with you know when you see the dog do this, yeah, point to it or something like that. Like you know, there's just something about being able to like take this information. You know, like I'm usually somebody who prefers to read things and like my husband loves to watch videos and I get so aggravated when he sends me a video to watch because I'm like oh my god I could just like read it so much faster yeah but <laughs> there's certain things that like the visual having it 
illustrated so cleanly and like in a well-organized manner, like just really makes it stick in your head. And, you know, and I, I think that, you know, that's why I think this is such a special book. Thank you. <laughs> I know that you don't consider yourself a dog trainer, but I feel like you must practically be a dog trainer after all the amazing oh. people you get to work with. <laughs> well, no, well, well, I I hardly ever trained Boogie. I mean, like, I didn't do very much training at all. Like, I mean, he had recall and he could go to his bed and that was pretty much it. <laughs> you know, like, I didn't really do a lot of training. Like, he couldn't do any elaborate tricks or anything. So, so no, I'm not a dog trainer. <laughs> Well, how did your relationship with him evolve over the years? Did he stop biting people? <laughs> oh, yeah, he stopped biting people. Um, he <laughs> became, I mean, I don't think he, the fear, I mean, the fear didn't go away. Like, I mean, that sort of discomfort he felt around new people did not sort of disappear, but he communicated it and I could see it and I would not put him in situations where he would be triggered so yeah and he didn't bite people anymore <laughs> yeah we have a, a dog that's a very shy and fearful guy yeah and despite us you know having worked with him you know over the no course of a number of years you know we just kind of have made the decision to like keep his world small and yeah. you know to just you know he's not the dog that you take out and about you know he doesn't want to go for a car ride <laughs> If we have somebody over the house, he goes in the crate because he's just much more comfortable there, you know. Yeah. That's like, I'm, you know, I question that decision all the time, but I guess that's, we at least feel like he feels safer that way, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Boogie had, Boogie had people he knew and liked and he had dogs that he knew and liked. And, you know, so he had a bubble of people who, people and dogs he knew. And everyone else, I was just very careful with. Yeah. So there's so many times when you hear people say, my dog just snapped out of nowhere, <laughs> you know, yeah. and whether it's bit someone or, or what have you. Uh, do you think that that's really an accurate assessment or is it just that we've just been missing all the signs and can't read? I, I think there are signs. I think there are always signs. And I mean, this is what I've been told and this is what I've read is that when a lot of people probably punish a dog for growling or for um, moving away or whatever it is they do to say, no, I don't want to deal with this. Um, I, and I've one thing I've heard is that when people punish the growl or when they punish a bark, then a dog might try something else to, to communicate what they want to say. Um, and so people are essentially getting rid of the signs that would help them identify stress. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, in my case, personally, they've always, I've always seen signs. They're, they're always signals. Um, there was a time when I didn't see them because I didn't know to look for them or I wasn't taught. But then when I learned to see them, I saw them. So... <laughs> So I wonder if if dogs really bite out of the blue. You know, you had said, like, why isn't this on television? And I think yeah. that all the time. I'm like, this should be on, like, Good Morning America or, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Like, 
we have such a, uh, I feel like we, we have such strange expectations for our dogs to fit into our world so seamlessly mm-hmm. and that we're not always setting them up for success. And I just, yeah. I like wonder where, where do these societal expectations that the dog just wants to go everywhere and meet everyone and go to the dog park and do all these things. And, you know, why don't like, we're not honoring their dogness. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know why there are so many social expectations, but I think that's hopefully that's changing and people are starting to be more aware of dogs as individuals and they're not all the same and they have different personalities and they have different preferences and that's okay. Right. So would you ever take your dog to a dog park? (laughs) Well, you know, I used to take, well, Boogie passed away in 2020, but like I used to take him to a dog park because when I first adopted him, of course, you know, being this naive dog person at the time I was like I'm taking him everywhere let's go to the dog park (laughs) Um, and he was he never played with any other dogs he was only interested in playing fetch with his tennis ball he was obsessed with tennis balls so (laughs) he only played with us like he didn't play with other dogs and um, we stopped taking him to the dog park because there was one event where he had his ball in the mouth and another dog approached him and he started growling, like, get away from my ball. And then we kind of realized that, okay, we could have a problem here. Mm-hmm. So we stopped taking him to the dog park. And sort of he had become dog reactive at that point. So, you know, it was quite clear that, you know, he not the best place for him to be. Right. Yeah, that's another thing that always stresses me out when I see you know photos or videos because I, I don't take our dogs there and yeah. and honestly with having pit bull dogs I guess we've always had a hesitation of you yeah know, wanting to set them up for success and we don't want to put anybody in a bad situation if something would happen you know we don't yeah. want it to be the pit bull's fault <laughs> I know and people will blame the pit bull right instead of you know seeing things realistically and some of the, yeah, their dog was being a jerk, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing, you know, people don't always know that their dog's being a jerk. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> you know, and, and the other thing that's just interesting too, you know, I had shared with you, you know, we just adopted this new dog. She's about two years old and she's been here roughly 10 days and, you know, we're still getting to know her and just Realizing how each dog's body language is different and how, you know, one dog, you know, might be really expressive with how they move their tail or with how they move their ears. Like this girl has very funny ears that stick straight up all the time. And, uh, you know, so we're like trying to learn what the different, you know, when one's up and one's down and, you know, we're trying to learn all those things. And, And so I have kept your book out, you know, just to kind of remind me of just different things to look for, you know, as we're getting to know this new dog. Yeah. And, you know, it might take some time. Like, you're not going to know everything immediately. It will take time and different experiences to to learn what an individual dog's body language is, like what it means for this dog. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like we learned she does not like having her nails trimmed. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely one thing we have learned so far. (laughs) Uh. 
So do you have any interest in pursuing dog training at all? Or you just like having the knowledge that you have and you're just going to do your thing? <laughs> well, I I think like when we adopt a dog again, because, um, you know, I haven't had a dog since Boogie died, um, I will definitely be getting a dog trainer <laughs> and learning what to do because I think, you know, like I didn't start uh, w- with Boogie. I, did, I sort of like started with a blank slate almost, um, not knowing very much about dog behaviour and training. So if I got another dog, then I would I would be like a new student again. <laughs> <laughs> so you've gotten to work with one of my favorite people who's actually been on the podcast before here is Dr. Zazie Todd. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I just have to ask, how did you get to know her and, and what kind of collaborations <laughs> have you done? Because I know you guys had done like some chats, like some Zoom chats and things like that. Yeah, so um, I first met Zazie because she hired me to illustrate her logo, oh. which is her, um, the, there's a dog and a cat in her logo. So that's how we first connected. And then she was one of the people whom I consulted with for Doggy Language. And we've just had, and then she had another event where we talked about my book and about dogs in general. So it, it's been like, you know, an ongoing sort of, like we're friends on social media. And But I'm a big fan of her blog. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I see you have the kitty language book out now also, right? Yeah. So I have two cats at the moment, Mambo and Shimmy. And after Doggy Language was published, I had a lot of, feedback on that positive feedback on that and request to do a cat version and I think for the longest time I was not I didn't feel I was confident enough to do a cat version because I didn't know anything about cats Uh, but then we adopted Mambo and Shimmy and I've been learning about them reading about cat things getting to know them and observing them very intensely (laughs) and so you know I, I decided that you know, I would do a cat version and uh, and it's a different publisher, 10 Speed Press, and and that's how that book came about. A, a lot of it, I mean, I did have to, I did have consultants as well, like cat behaviorists looking through it and giving advice and, you know, offering feedback. I was just thinking I should probably pick that one up also because I really don't know anything at all about cats. And, you know, I have a a girlfriend that has a cat and I always think like, oh, you know, they'll show me their belly and I'll, I don't rub it like I would a dog, but, you know, I'll pet it. And the next thing I know, like my hand's getting attacked and I'm like, oh God, what did I do? (laughs) Clearly I've done something wrong. Yeah. (laughs) I only know dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, cats, um... I guess people, I mean, they, they, it, there's a lot more subtlety because they're, they're smaller. <laughs> so, and, yeah, their faces probably don't move as much as dogs' faces do, but, you know, they're very expressive with their bodies. Cats are really, um, they're pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. Have you enjoyed having cats? Is it? A, I'm sure it's a very different experience. <gasps> so the, the most... The thing I love the most about our cats is that well, we adopted them as a pair, so they were bonded at the rescue. Is um, 
just seeing them together, like seeing how they play and how they snuggle and how they, you know, hang out together. I mean, that is the most interesting thing to me. I mean, they're so much, they're so funny and <laughs> and they're both such completely different personalities and yet they're like best buds. <laughs> You know, that was something for me when we went from having one dog to two dogs, like it blew my mind of, you know, before I even knew anything about how to read their body language, but just seeing the interactions between them was just like so fascinating to me and how they played and they were, you know, the very like rough and tumble, uh, WrestleMania, you know, um, pit bull, you know, around the house. And, you know, sometimes I'd be like, Oh, like they sound scary, you know, but like they just knew they were playing and they would like hunt squirrels and rabbits in the backyard you know and be like trying yeah. to chase you know it was just it was really fascinating to me like I feel like that uh going from one to two like did really like give me a whole other understanding yeah well I haven't had that experience <laughs> but yeah but I could see it you know, with two imagine. cats yeah you know yeah. it would be like you're getting to see like their how they're yeah. they communicate yeah it's, it's really fascinating and, and half the time it's like are they fighting or are they playing <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right yeah so do you have any future plans for other species or, or other books like what, what's um, coming down the I, line so I'm actually working on another book right now. It's called Dogs of the World, and it's a completely different type of book. It's not on body language. It's just the, just all my illustrated dog breed art, so all the breeds of the world. Yeah. Um, but on the subject of body language, I did pitch an idea to a publisher, and I would love to do something that with other species, with different species, um, because I've also done, like, body language charts for hedgehogs and horses and um, rats and pigs and birds. So, I mean, I would love, and these were done for different clients, but I think it'd be really a lot of fun to make a project of it and have a book of different species. Um, Unfortunately, my publisher didn't think it would sell. not my publisher, not my editor, but my the publishing marketing department thought that oh that it would be better for them to stick with dogs and cats. So yeah, but hopefully, I'm surprised to like, hear that. I know, same here. But maybe somebody listening to this podcast will. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking with horses, you know, my my husband is so completely terrified of horses. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I would love to show him this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about horses. The thing is, I don't know anything about other species, but it would be really interesting and a lot of fun for me to learn about different species and draw them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just have to say, you're so incredibly talented. You know, I'm somebody that needs help drawing a stick figure and the abilities that you have to to translate things and make them so readily understandable is extremely special. And, you know, like I said, you, there's a huge fan base uh, of yours on, online and, and here in Baltimore. And I'm so thankful for your time today. Well, thank you. <laughs> And I'll make sure we have links in the show notes so that everybody can get the book if they haven't already, because I have mentioned it many times. (laughs) Thanks, (laughs) Erin. 
Did you know that February is also National Canine Cancer Prevention Month? The statistics for cancer in our dogs are kind of unbelievable. Around one in three dogs will be diagnosed with cancer at some point in their lives. And if your dog is over the age of 10 years old, that number goes to one in two or 50%. Pretty much every pet parent I know, including myself several times now, have been affected by a canine cancer diagnosis in our lives. And have you ever wondered if there was just a way to give yourself some peace of mind about whether your dog might have cancer or not? I know I have, and I was surprised to learn that there's now a test that does just this. In fact, over on the Alternative Dog Moms podcast, Kimberly and I got to talk with the founder of a test called Oncotect. And this is the first at-home kit that you can order yourself. You don't have to go through your veterinarian, but they will coordinate with your veterinarian on the results. So you can just order this kit, submit a urine sample, and find out whether your dog has a low risk, a moderate risk, or a high risk of having some kind of cancer in their body. I was fascinated by this, and I'm going to be trying this with my dog Nino, so I'm sure that you'll be hearing about it. If you'd like to find out more, I'll have a link in the show notes so you can check out Oncotect. And I'm incredibly excited to share with you that if you want to check Oncotect out for your dog, you can save 15% on your orders with the code BELIEVEINDOG. I'll have a link for you in the show notes. I was just sitting here flipping through my copy of Doggy Language, and I think that two of my favorite parts are the conflicted or stressed section and the section that says know the difference. And know the difference is so important, right? Because your dog could be panting because they're hot, but they could also be panting because they're in pain or that they're stressed or they could be playing and it's kind of like they're laughing. And Lily points out the different things to look for to help you know the difference, to give you the context and to think about what situation that you're in to see what behavior you might be seeing in your dog. One of my other favorite know the differences is about kisses. We think when our dog is kissing us that it's an affectionate lick, like, I love you, I'm glad you're home. And it might be, but Sometimes a dog is actually doing a kiss to kind of get you away and to be dismissive and that that's a signal, you know, that the dog is done for right now. And we always think, right, that when we see a dog wagging their tail, that that's a happy dog. But that's not always the case. They might be wagging for a different reason. They might be on high alert. They might be uncomfortable. No, the difference. So important. So, so important. I also love the play section. This was really fascinating to me when we first adopted our dog Lucy and then adopted Kalua. And now I had two dogs and seeing how they played with each other in the house. Sometimes I was like, are they playing? I don't know. And over time, I got to learn those dogs and learn that, yeah, it might look <laughs> intense or sound very loud, but I could see the difference of what play is versus what play wasn't. And thinking about Lucy and Kalua also makes me think of the situation that I had mentioned to Lily. I shared this story back on our How to Stop a Dog Fight roundtable episode, but we had two dogs and then we were trying to be good Samaritans and help out a third dog. And that was the wrong choice for our house as well as for the experience level that Tim and I had at the time, because I didn't know this body language stuff. 
I remember thinking that I felt like Lucy was trying to tell me something, but I didn't know what it was. And later, when I got the book Calming Signals, which was my intro to dog body language, I was like, oh, I mean, I really felt like an idiot because Lucy had been trying to tell me how stressed she was, how unhappy she was with this new dog in our house. That dog was just very rude and had no manners. And it really resulted in a scary situation. And we're fortunate that it wasn't any worse than it was. And, you know, I've mentioned we brought this new dog, Nessie, in our house. And, you know, she's kind of funny because even though she's a pit bull type dog, she has these ears that just stick straight up all the time. And I love her ears. But that also changes some of her body language, right? Because her ears are constantly look like she's on high alert. And we're trying to learn the differences in how she moves her ears around. Like if one's up, one's down, both are back. And we had this whole situation with Nessie where she kept running behind our shed where it's all muddy. And then she would just be covered in mud. And I would need to clean her up to let her in the house, right? But... We discovered that towels made her really uncomfortable and that she doesn't like having her feet touched. So the short-term solution to this has been we just take her out on a leash now and don't give her that opportunity to run behind the shed. But I was just thinking, thank goodness I understood what this dog was trying to tell me. You know, with her ears, with her eyes, with her tail, with her quick movements, like she was trying to tell me that she was really uncomfortable and she was throwing all kinds of signals out that, you know, she might bite. And I didn't think she was going to bite me, but sometimes you don't know with a new dog. And so my husband and I would get a licky mat and put like almond butter on it. And one of us would hold the licky mat and I would just get a washcloth because that was smaller and less scary to try to clean the mud off of her. And I try to just do her legs, you know, really quickly and not concentrate on the feet. And we would just put towels down inside on the carpet so that she would just walk some of any of the residual mud off. And that was our way of trying to manage around the behavior that we were seeing because we didn't want her to feel uncomfortable. We didn't want her to be stressed. We didn't want her to bite either one of us. And I was just like, oh, thank God I knew what this dog was trying to tell me and that we were able to, you know, figure out a way to navigate around it. And this is why it's so important to be able to understand what your dog is saying, particularly when they are stressed, particularly when they are uncomfortable. I don't think any of us are trying to put our dogs in a situation where they're uncomfortable. And sure, sometimes you might have to take them to the vet office and they might just have to deal with it for a short period of time. But if there's things that we're doing every day that are stressing our dog out, we need to know that. If we're going to have our dog around children or new people or other dogs, we need to be able to understand what they're saying. So if you have somebody in your life that maybe just adopted a dog for the first time, get them the doggy language book. If you have children in your life, get the doggy language book and sit there and see if you can pick out like, oh, when does their tail look like this? When does their ears look like this? You know, if you don't already have this book, get the book. I had Tim, my husband, go and look through this right before we recorded because he hadn't really looked at it in a while. And he was just thinking, you know, I just love how it's clean, how it just has like bullet points. There's not a lot of text. It's not text heavy, but it gives you just enough information. 
And this book is really brilliantly done. And I'll have a link for you, of course, so you can get the doggy language book. And I'll also have links so you can check out the rest of Lily's work. First, she is available to take commissions if you want her to do any drawings for either you as an individual or if you have a company. Her website shows everything from infographics to signage. And I'll also have a link so you can see some of her greatest hits. I think all of her hits are the greatest. And while I might sound like a bit of a gushing fangirl, and you know, you might not be wrong about that, I just find that the ability to interpret and digest and translate complicated information into an easy way to visually take it all in is a skill. And it's a skill that I really admire. You know, in my day job world, I have to take a lot of data and information and put it in charts and tables and make sure that I and everybody else can access information quickly. And it is not visual in the way of art because I have like zero artistic ability. Uh, so I just, I see how complicated it is to do what she's doing and how beautifully and easy she makes it look. And that's very special. I'm so grateful to Lily for taking the time to chat with us. And I'm so grateful for her work being in this world. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. If you like this episode, remember that you can always leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty much the biggest compliment that you can give a podcaster. You can always find me at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook or at Erin the Dog Mom on Instagram. So until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. Believe in Dog Podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.